Want to be confident when talking about yourself and explaining what you do? Join my free 21-day confidence building course. You'll learn how to construct a personal elevator pitch, learn how to not be awkward in social situations, how to have awesome conversations, among other important skills to help you crush life. Best of all, it's free. Sign up now at freeconfidencecourse.com. From the C Method, my name is Christina Cantors, and this is Stand Out, Get Noticed, the podcast that helps you communicate with confidence and clarity so you can get what you want in business and in life. To subscribe to the show and download the back catalogue, go to thecmethod.com slash podcast. Oh, hey, hi there, and welcome to episode 27 of Stand Out, Get Noticed. My name is Christina Cantors, and I am your host. Thank you for joining me for this very special episode. Now, tell me something. Do you wish that you had more time? As in, an extra day to get things done? Sounds impossible, right? Well, my guest this week is a time-generating magician. I'm serious. I'm very excited to introduce you to Ethan Glessick, founder of Inara, a consultancy that helps companies and individuals reclaim their time. He and his partner, Patricia, teach people about the strengths and weaknesses of the human brain and help them develop processes and strategies that enable them to handle more work in less time. In this conversation, we talk about attention and focus and why Ethan believes attention is one of the most valuable resources we have as humans and how how you can be better at focusing your own attention so you can be more effective with how you spend your time. I read a book recently, it's called Life in Half a Second, and it's all, it's based on the idea that we have very, very little time left. And in the whole scope of the universe, our lives really only account for something like half a second. And then, and there's a countdown on our lives. For example, let's say I can only be functional and effective until I'm 80 years old. That means I've got 51 years left which means, which works out to like 18,000 days. And when you think about how little time you actually have left, it makes you want to spend that time more efficiently. And what Ethan shares in this conversation will definitely help you to be able to do that. I met Ethan when he came and spoke at a workshop at RMIT University, and that's where I learned some really fascinating things from him. So I'm super excited to be sharing our conversation with you. You can find show notes at thecmethod.com slash Ethan. Enjoy. Is it Enara or Enara? Enara. Enara. Where did did the name Enara come from? That's a really good question Um, and it's difficult to answer. We've been trying to answer that for a while. Um, (laughs) The closest we've got is Ara being A-R-A-H is an ancient Asian word, which means the way or the path. And we think it's flowed down into Australia through the Aboriginal trace being Anara. Um, but we're trying to substantiate that, and it's quite difficult because Aboriginal languages aren't written down. And there's about 300 different types, so it's very difficult. But um, the closest written um, origin we have is for Ara, and I think it's Old Malaysian or something like that. Right. Interesting. Well, it's definitely yeah. memorable. So, Excellent. So that helps. Excellent. <laughs> Now, Ethan, we met at a workshop that you gave at RMIT for people in the RMIT business plan competition, which was yes. awesome, all about you 
taught us uh, a lot of your time management stuff, which we'll talk about later. Um, mm-hmm. But in the business plan comp, you won three awards in, it was 2013, right? Yes, that's right. Okay. What impact did that have on your business at the time? Um, that was really exciting, actually, because, and I think there was a bit of luck involved also with the way that we won the awards in that, or the way they presented the awards. So, uh, RMIT business plan has a community around it, which is all sorts of mentors and sponsors and people, judges and people who are associated with the competition. And on the awards night, the, our awards came up in succession. And I think there was about five or six awards that were given. And because ours came up in succession, it was a really big, powerful, communication piece to all the people at the event that we've got something of interest. So it, it served almost as a marketing platform for us that, that we were endorsed by these leaders associated with the business plan competition and we had something worth exploring or talking to a lot of audience members about in more detail. So what happened after that then? After that, I pretty much called and um, emailed everybody that was associated with the competition. Okay. And I drank a lot of coffee, (laughs) wore out a few pair of shoes, and met all of the amazing people associated with the competition. Right. So, you know, all through industry, there's judges that give their time, mentors, in so many different uh, areas of business, and basically got their advice on... You know, different ways we could move our business and different ways on growing our business until some of them started saying things like, well, that's really interesting. Maybe you could come and talk to me about ways I could help my team improve productivity. So you basically used the exposure that you got from the competition and just the connection that you had mm-hmm. with those people as leverage to get a coffee with them. Yeah, I guess I guess that's why. Uh, the, the coffee wasn't – it wasn't a sales coffee. It was a coffee for learning and mm. – and getting their advice because these people are associated with the competition because they want to give back. They don't they don't get paid for it. There's no vested interest for them. All they want to do is help young entrepreneurs coming through. And so I thought, wow, this is a great opportunity for all of these people to to who now have have seen us endorsed in front of these in front of the community. So let's meet with them and find out what they think are ways that we can shape and grow our business. And then there was also the ulterior motive that hopefully they'll see some value and they might be able to recommend us to somebody or it might be relevant for them. But that certainly wasn't the the um, the motive that set up the, the coffee. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes, that makes sense. I'm, I'm asking you these questions because I'm in round two and I believe the results are coming out this week. Oh, exciting. At the end of this week. So yeah. I'll find out whether I'm in round three or not. And if I'm in uh, round three, luck. then thanks then yeah, I'll have to go pitch, which will be really fun. But it's already been great. Like I've made awesome connections and the opportunity so far has been um, really, really great. Yeah, for me, it was um, it was a big turning point actually in that we also had, um, yeah, I think we might have mentioned uh, when, uh, when I saw it at RMIT, we had a number of challenges about determining which strategies we should follow. And we had a variety of different options to us. And through the business plan competition, we got a fantastic mentor, um, the ex-vice president of marketing at Ford. And uh, he runs a small consulting business now. I think he's a CEO of, of an association in the, in the motor vehicle industry. 
And together so we could present different strategies to him and it was for the business plan, but it was also for our business. So we got to form this relationship with somebody with being there, done that experience and could bounce ideas off them to help us make decisions about which way we should really go and where we should invest our time, which is really the missing piece for us because executing the time that we had was, was what we were really strong at, but deciding where to put that, where we should invest <laughs> the time, that was the missing piece in the puzzle for us, which is why it was such a, a uh, I think, a transformation. Is that what you help businesses do now? Yeah. Well, like where to spend their time? That's really the next step. Um, but the first step is just helping them get time back. Right. Explain. Everybody, <laughs> well, every, everybody's time poor these days. So, you know, if you ask anybody, how are you? I'm busy. I'm so busy and I've got no time. So we have a magic wand that we wave and then all of a sudden they get a day back or they get two days back during the week. So, so that's the first step. And then once you've got this time, the question is, okay, well, what am I going to do with it? And that's okay. really the second step. Just taking, actually taking another step back. How would you define productivity? Yeah, that's a really good question. Everybody's got a different definition, right? Mm. But So if, if I wave this wand and you were 20% more productive tomorrow, what would you have? Oh, I would say I would have more things ticked off my to-do list. Yeah. Well, in, in essence, when, um, when we're running workshops and things, we go through four major areas. So the first one is time. But if you become 20% more productive, the first thing you're getting back is time. Mm-hmm. So you're, all of a sudden you've got more time. The second thing which is really big in the productivity space at the moment is this really elusive thing called energy. Uh, and we kind of forget that um, we're, all, we're all batteries. You know, you've seen the matrix, how they reduce the human down to a battery. Mm. When that, and really we've got this certain amount of available energy to us each day that we're not necessarily conscious of, but, you know, by mid-afternoon you start to slump and get a little bit tired and first thing in the morning you might be fully energised and you can only concentrate for a certain amount of time or hours during the day. So the second thing in productivity that we explore is energy and energy management and energy optimization. Um, third thing is control and we look at what what is control, what 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 is really controlling all your activities every day and how to optimise it. And the fourth thing is outcomes. So all of this, the time and the energy and the control all going somewhere and that's really, you know, to achieving the outcomes that's important for the person or the business. And so bringing that all together, we define productivity as techo, being the time, energy, control and outcomes. That's, that's the way we define productivity and that's we work with, with companies in those four domains. So it's all about techo. What do you find is the, the main thing that holds people back from being more productive? What's the biggest block? There's a few, um, but it generally comes down to well, there's a, a couple of a couple of major areas. If I had to choose one, I'd probably say attention. Attention. Yeah. So attention is a function that the brain has, which is basically your ability to concentrate and focus. And it's arguably one of the most valuable resources that we have as humans, you know, our ability to concentrate and focus. And our attention, although it allows us to do some amazing things, it also sabotages what we're trying to achieve constantly, all day, every day. So things like the way, I mean, even if you think about the way, what your average day is like, where, you know, your ability to concentrate and focus is actually really, really fragile. You know, if, you, if you're having dinner with somebody um, and the waiter drops a glass, what's the first thing you do? 
Yeah, your attention goes to that straight, straight to away. The, straight to the glass. Um, any ping on your telephone or your attention always goes to these really subtle things that's flickering around, like almost like a bird, you know, where it's any sort of sound, its head flicks to it. And we're, we're not really that different. And you think about how fragile attention is, but it's also our unique capability to achieve any great work. So you think about, um, you think about a doctor and, or a surgeon and he's going to operate on your heart. Where does his attention go? Straight on to what he's doing. Hopefully, right? You know, so. <laughs> Hopefully. It depends on your surgeon, I guess. Or if you think about any great sports player, you know, Nadal in the middle of a serve, where's his attention? Or any athlete, where, where does their attention go? They're just super focused on the task They're at hand. They're full focused on the task at hand. Mm. And any sort of interruption or fracture of attention, they minimize. There's no tweets coming in through the operating theater with the doctor. There's no emails. There's no door that's always open and any colleagues can walk in. They're fully focused on the task at hand. And attention is so fragile that any sort of fracture to that decreases our ability to achieve our objectives, decreases our productivity. So I'd say the biggest, one of the biggest areas that we see is constantly people don't value and consequently protect their own attention. They don't appreciate how fragile it is and how valuable it is and as a consequence have a whole series of habits and processes that really rob them of time every day. Would the classic example be having email pings coming in, phone yeah, calls, exactly. all that? Exactly. Exactly. That is, I mean, if you look at email, email is one of the other major areas that, that um, I was alluding to before because, you know, 30 to 40% of the average office workers' days spent in email. So you can focus on making some small optimizations in email and all of a sudden reclaim a significant amount of time. And one of those areas is certainly that little ping, which if you're receiving hundreds of emails every day, that's hundreds of times it's fracturing your attention. And the funny thing about it is, you know, you can be concentrating on something really important that requires deep concentration and the person who's pinging you can be asking almost about irrelevant things that have no importance in your life or in your priorities, but it still fractures your attention. It's like, you know, imagine you email Nadal right in the middle of a surf <laughs> and, and his phone starts buzzing in his pocket, you know, that would completely fracture his attention and his serve. So those sorts of things are happening to us all day, every day. And email is certainly one of the, one of the major places that we see that. So I've, I've taken to, well, I, every day I try to not look at my email until after lunch. Like mm -hmm. I try and just focus all my morning creative energy on that. And I've told other people about this and I've said, because I have people who work, say, in corporate jobs and they'll say, um, oh, I just spend all my day on email and I just can't seem to really focus on one task. And I say, well, why don't you just turn off your notifications until, you know, 11 a.m. or something? But then yeah. they say, yeah, but my boss and my supervisor sort of wants it right now. Yeah. Because that's what they're expecting. And I say, well, what happens if you don't answer? They say, well, my boss will walk over to me and interrupt me and say, hey, did you get my email? Or they'll call. Yeah. So what, what can someone do in that situation? Yeah, it's difficult for the individual. I think Tim Ferriss, you know, the author of the four hour work week mm. has some creative suggestions on, on what to do, uh, you know, with auto notifications and, and what it is, what was he saying? Something about, Act first, ask for forgiveness later, or sort of yeah, ask for forgiveness for, instead of permission. For permission, yeah, something <laughs> like that. Yeah, um, but it's it can be difficult for individuals, and that's in essence. So that's one of the core focuses in what we do is instead of working with the individual, we take the team on a journey of valuing uh, and protecting their attention. Right, and, and it's often the managers go on this journey with them because 
it's kind of this, you know, subtle thing that we're not consciously aware of. So we take the whole team on a journey and then out of that, that uh, morning, it's okay, well, now you really value and appreciate attention. What do you want to do about it? What changes do you want to make? And email is often one of the changes which come out of it. So then the team will decide as a collective, hey, let's have certain times where we're, we've completely turned email off. Let's start the day without email and telephone calls and mobiles. Let's do a whole variety of things as a team to value and protect our attention. That's, that's a really great idea because that, so that, that way, yeah, they're working together. Yeah, exactly, because otherwise it's one person turning off their email and then a boss is getting annoyed and the colleagues are getting annoyed and they're still fracturing your their, um, a common term that comes up in the workshops is desk bombing, you know. You're still getting desk bombed all the time and people still there's a lot of partition talking which is distracting you. There's all sorts of other ways that your your attention's being fractured apart from email. So you when you take everyone on a journey, you get to explore what relevant areas are affecting them as an individual and them as a team and then focus on them rather than just one thing like email, which would be one of the challenges for your friend, for example. Yeah. Back to the attention span thing. Mm -hmm. I've heard that after 90 minutes of being in the same physical state, like sitting at a computer, our brain stops processing information. Is that, and that's when we should take a break? Is this what you found with your research? No. So basically with attention um patricia and i so patricia's my business partner and also my wife and she's the smart one so she's a neuropsychologist <laughs> with a phd in neuroscience um and we've studied attention in a lot of detail and it, there's so far we've identified nine major limits and one of them is attention span um but attention span is very elusive so you can have for example um attention span depends a lot also on motivation and your emotional connection to what you're doing at right. the moment you're doing it. Mm. So you can have a kid who's got ADD, right, attention deficit disorder, as in they don't have enough attention, there's a deficit in attention, and yet they're glued to the TV screen playing <laughs> a game for three hours. Yeah. <laughs> and then I read and Same a for document. Adults. <laughs> exactly. And then, and then you say, you know, but attention only lasts 90 minutes or the other common number is 20 minutes. So when there is um, significant motivational, emotional connection to what we're concentrating on, like a movie, if it's a really engaging movie, mm. you can be glued to the screen for two hours. But if it's a boring movie, what happens? Yeah, you start thinking about eating food. You get about 20 <laughs> minutes in if you're lucky and your mind starts bouncing to other things that you have an emotional connection to that's not as – or a lot more engaging than the movie in front of you. So uh, that nine, there's a 90-minute um, um, number that's thrown around a lot. That number which is thrown around is to do with a different area called ultridian cycles. Ooh, okay. And – it's a, it's an 80 to a 120 minute cycle. It's a really interesting cycle. Um, it was discovered back in the 1950s, I believe, by a, a Russian who came to fled to America during one of the wars. I can't remember which one it was off the top of my head, but he was actually a um, he, he started noticing. It all started with him noticing his uh, his daughter, his newborn, and he noticed that her eyes were flickering when she was asleep. Mm -hmm. And he thought, well, something must be going on here. So he um, started studying what was happening to his daughter. He plugged her up to put these, like, um, it's called an ECG, I think, or an EGG, electro something gram. I have to ask Patricia what it's called. But essentially what it does is measure your brain waves. And he found out 
Now, this was the origin of REM sleep. You know, ah, when we go into yes. that deep sleep every 90 or so minutes and we start to dream, well, REM actually occurs cyclic more than that, but there's a cycle of every 90 or so minutes when we're asleep. And that was when they first discovered this 90-minute cycle. And then many years later, as they kept studying attention and the brain waves and those sorts of things, they identified that, hey, this same cycle appears of high alertness and low alertness. It appears while we're awake. Right. Where you go okay. from high level of concentration to low level of concentration. And that generally happens every 90 or so minutes. But that's not directly related to attention span. Right. Okay. So they're two different things. Yeah. Mm. So I think I think it would just be easy just to say, just make sure you have regular breaks. Yeah, or <laughs> okay. the trick is is that when once you get in tune with these cycles, when you are staring at a computer screen and you're you know, it's getting a bit blurry or you find yourself really tired or wandering or squinting your eyes, that's a great time to have a break because you're gonna supercharge this whole tritian cycle and it's gonna bounce back. But attention span, if you're if you're really enjoying what you're doing, you don't need to worry about attention span. It takes care of itself. Yeah. It's like when you're procrastinating and then all of a sudden you're super stressed because that thing is due like in two hours and all of a sudden you've got a, a great attention span. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So it all, it all relates to the motivation. I heard an example recently where someone said it was talking about um, – actually, there's, um, I'm probably going to get a few of them mixed up now. There's a couple of them mixing together where I think it was a father and his daughter said that um, she didn't want to do any homework and he said, or well, she was too tired to do her homework. And he said, well, what about if I give you 50 bucks? <laughs> and she's like, ping, ping, of course. <laughs> yeah. And uh, there was another one with a mother that um, couldn't change her eating habits and he said, well, you know, hypothetically, she said, I just can't do it, I can't do it. Hypoth there was a hypothetical situation that, you know, Mr. Mafia walked into the room and said he was going to shoot your kids unless you change your eating habits. Would you have any trouble changing? She was like, no, of course not. So it comes down to motivation of what, how that connects emotionally to the person. I actually learned a bit about motivation and how there's two different types. There's the away from motivation. So your, your motivation is away from pain. In that, so in that example, it would be away from you know having your kids shot. Yeah. Well, then there's the towards motivation, which is I'm going to achieve something really great, like get $50 if yeah. I do this, yeah, yeah, that's exactly. Why people the, do things. <laughs> yeah, the, the carrot or the stick, you know, to, uh, yeah. Yeah, put a carrot in front of them and they run after the carrot or hit them with a the stick was the old motivational theory <laughs> of uh, motivating office workers. So my boss certainly used that back in the day. <laughs> what's um, what's the what's the number one thing that's helped you personally with your own productivity? Wow. Okay. So me personally. Um, I don't know, there's been so many along the way. Um, but if I have to talk about well, attention's obviously a big piece. Um, getting really clear about what I want is a big piece and then breaking that down into areas of you know, tangible things that are meaning. But on a personal level, like for me personally, one of the areas that has probably had the biggest impact, certainly recently, which is probably why I'm remembering it, or has a stronger connection to, to me now, is this piece around perfectionism. Right. So I'm a chronic perfectionist. <laughs> I don't know. know what that's like at all. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, God. And I've been to you know, these conferences and they're talking about perfectionism and, you know, entrepreneur conference, conferences and whatnot, and they're saying things like you can't be a perfectionist because 
you know, you, you spend all your time perfect, making everything perfect. You don't build your business. And it's like, yeah, I know that makes sense, but, but I'm a perfectionist and I try to not be, but I've just got to get this slide just perfect and I can't stop it. It's like this ingrained part of my being. And I know that in certain circumstances it's hurting me. But on other sides, I think, well, perfectionism is fantastic. You look at the iPhone, you look at the iPad, the level of perfectionism that's required to do those things. If you weren't a perfectionist, you couldn't achieve that level of quality. Um, but in certain circumstances, it can be really unproductive because I can spend you know, eight hours on perfecting a presentation or a slide but then have all of these problems because I've neglected some other activity which was also really important. So I've struggled with this for a while. And Patricia's always been on my on my case about you know the the negative impact that it has. And then I came to this realization. I don't even know where I was um, or how it happened, but I realized that I needed I didn't I didn't need to stop being a perfectionist. I didn't needed to stop trying to fight being perfectionist because that was just an uphill battle where I was losing constantly. I needed to become a perfectionist in the way I used my time. Ah, okay. So all of these people that had built businesses faster than I had, that had, that had done things that weren't perfectionists, they were actually more of a perfectionist than I was in the way that they used their time. And so I went, wow, okay. Being a perfectionist is a great strength. It's also a great weakness. But I can't change it. That's who I am. But what I can do is expand my definition now, expand what I'm including inside of being a perfectionist in, and to include the way I'm using my time. And so all of a sudden when I get stuck in that presentation and I'm watching the, the hours go past, there's this little alarm bell which goes off going bang. If you keep spending time here, you're not going to be a perfectionist in the way you spend your time. You're not going to achieve the objectives that you're aiming for. Snap out of it. Move into the high-value activity that's really going to achieve you the results over the next couple of months. Wow. That is a powerful reframe. Excellent. hope it helps. Help, <laughs> help me on a personal level. Like, I mean, I think when we work with clients who work around attention and we work around dynamic planning, we work around a few frameworks and they've been really useful to me along the way. But more, more recently over the last year, it's really been this concept of perfectionism, which for me personally has, has uh, I mean, you could call it a simple reframe, but I think it's actually just getting to the deeper truth in that if I am a perfectionist, then I'm not and I identify as being a perfectionist and I use my time in a way that's not helping me achieve my objectives and I'm certainly not being a perfectionist in the way I'm using time. And that strikes to my core is how I identify myself. And so now I've got this mental trigger that constantly pulls me out. Mm. So I think, you know, it, it is somewhat of a reframe, but I think more than that, it's actually a deeper truth about perfectionism and how it relates to, to time and achieving outcomes in that time frame. Yeah. Well, I'd never... I'd certainly never thought about perfectionism in that way before. Yep. I'd sort of, I'd done what you would, you were saying you were trying to do, which is to just get out of the perfectionism loop. Yeah, the trap they call it, the perfectionist trap. trap. And yeah, it doesn't work. I've tried it for years and failed <laughs> for years. <laughs> well, I'm really glad you came to that realization. <laughs> yeah, me too. That's me awesome. too. And more, more than me, Patricia's glad as well. <laughs> Less stressful for everyone. Yeah, exactly. 
<laughs> oh, well, but before I let you go, I just want to let you know, Ethan, that I've been using the weekly outcome and daily to-do list technique that you taught us um, in your workshop, and it's been really, really effective. Fantastic. And so I really appreciate you sharing that with us. You're um, welcome. Yeah, it just help, really helps to keep me focused. Yeah. And I know like a lot of people sort of get to the end of their week and just go, oh, what have I even done this week? But having those, you know, three outcomes and then working towards those, that's it's just been super helpful. Excellent. That's what it's all about, <laughs> a bit of clarity and, and creating alignment. And I'm yeah. glad it helps. Yeah. Hopefully it-, it helps you win the business plan competition. Hopefully, well, I'm I'm visualizing I'm visualizing the win. I'm, yeah, I'm there. Exactly. I'm there. The next next step will be to give the give the pitch. So that'll be my next challenge if I get to round three. Well, yeah, when yeah, I get to I'm round sh- three, <laughs> I'm sure you will. I'm sure you will. So and the pitch will be good fun. Oh yeah, I'm looking forward to that. It'll be good. And even just I don't know. Hopefully, I can get to watch other people's pitches. Do they let you do that? Uh, no. Oh. No, sorry. Yeah. Shame. Yeah, exactly. You can probably jump on the internet and find other pitches, but yeah, no, it's not an open forum. It's just the judges and the entrepreneur. So, like, like Dragon's Den. Exactly. <laughs> it is a bit like that. You walk into a room and there's all these big, uh, powerful people sitting around. I think last time there was the XMD of Accenture sitting at the table. Oh. Um, it's like, you know, not to put any pressure on you, but there's. You know, there are some, some heavyweight players at the table and you walk into this big U-shaped room, it's all focused on you and then you've got to take a deep breath and, and roll with it. Wow. Yeah. They well, can make a TV show out of it as well, I'm sure. <laughs> I think that would be a situation where you could definitely let your perfectionism take over and just go, I'm going to spend eight hours on this slide because this yeah. is really important. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, there's a great book I read when I was preparing for my presentation about um, Steve Jobs presenting and the amount of, I can't remember the name of it, but if uh, it wasn't written by Steve Jobs, it was written about Steve Jobs, um, but a lot of the, the anecdotes were were from him and whatnot. Um, but he also spent an enormous amount of time in preparing for a presentation and, you know, certainly now over the last couple of years, I've been presenting a lot and spend an enormous amount of time preparing for a presentation that it's ridiculous. I can spend, you know, a hundred hours for an hour presentation in that once it's out there, and now I understand from the brain's perspective what happens through that process, but once you're out there, you're able to deliver things to such a high level. When you've practiced to that level and you've got the material down to that level that, uh, you know, you can deliver. Well, I mean, you're a professional, just like a professional athlete who trains for months and months and months and years for one race that might might last, you know, a minute or whatever. So it's exactly the same thing. Exactly. And I have this belief that whenever you have a group's attention, you have this responsibility to deliver something to them because it's not just every minute that, that you're spending. It's a minute multiplied by every person who's receiving value from that moment. So you have a responsibility to really use that time to deliver something of value to all of those people because every minute is multiplied by the number of people that are in the audience. And so I look at that perspective as the amount of time that I'm investing is relevant to the amount of people in the audience rather than the amount of time I'm actually up on stage. Well, you've definitely added a lot of value to this and this podcast episode will be listened to by thousands of people. (laughs) Excellent. Excellent. That's good to hear. 
Thanks so much. Where, where can people find you online if they want to get in touch with you? Yeah, absolutely. The website's probably the best place, which is just www.enara.biz. Excellent. All right, I'll pop links uh, in the in the show notes of the episode anyway. Perfect. All right. Well, thanks again, Ethan. It's been awesome having you on the show. You're welcome. Looking forward to, uh, <laughs> to seeing it online. Massive thank you to Ethan Glessick for sharing his valuable time with us. Now, if you're wondering what the time management tool is that I mentioned at the end, it goes like this. At the start of your month, write down your key monthly outcomes you want to achieve. Not tasks, outcomes. So things that require a whole bunch of different tasks to complete. So for me, an outcome would be submit my business plan for the competition, right? Very big um, goal. Then at the start of the week, I write down two to three weekly outcomes based on that monthly outcome. So for example, it could be have the finance section of the business plan done for that week. And then every evening that week, I would write down three key tasks that I needed to do the next day based on those weekly outcomes. For example, fill out profit and loss statements, email draft to my mentor, calculate my break even. Does that make sense? So my daily to-do list is directly related to my weekly outcomes, which are then directly related to my monthly outcomes. And you can even go further with this and and write down quarterly outcomes and yearly outcomes, which I haven't actually done yet, but I'm planning on doing them. (laughs) It's on my task list today. (laughs) But doing it this way means that six months down the track, I'm actually heading in a direction that I want to be heading. So I'm focused and I'm not busying myself with unrelated tasks every day that then make me go, what the hell have I been doing all year, you know, when it gets to a few months down the track. I'll put a a snapshot of my to-do list. I I physically write it down. I'll take a snapshot of my notebook and, and I'll put some examples in the show notes if you want more details about how I do it, along with links to where you can find Ethan and the things that we talked about. You can find it at thecmethod.com slash Ethan. That's thecmethod.com slash Ethan, E-T-H-A-N. Awesome. Well, I hope you found the last 30 minutes or so a valuable use of your time. I know how precious time is and I am so grateful that you've chosen to spend a decent chunk of it with me. You are a rock star. Oh, and also make sure you tune in next week to hear if I made round three of the business plan competition. Oh, fingers crossed. Results are out this week, which is pretty exciting. Keep on being awesome, just as you are, and I will see you next week. My name's Christina Cantors, and this has been Stand Out, Get Noticed. <laughs>